there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in breaking into the world of education technology, also known as EdTech, then this is the episode for you because my next guest co-founded an international technology company that was recently named as one of Fast Company Magazine's world's most innovative companies. But before I introduce you to Tom Davidson, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and gives you a sneak peek into the episodes and the professions we're going to be featuring that week. And it is super easy to do. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign up box is right there on the homepage. Now, my educationally-oriented espresso lovers, please grab your mug and take a shot of your favorite caffeinated beverage, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Tom Davidson, the co-founder and chief executive officer of EverFi, an international technology company driving social change through education to address the most challenging issues affecting society, ranging from financial wellness to prescription drug safety to workplace conduct and other critical topics. Since starting EverFi in 2008, Tom has led the company from a startup to a thriving organization with 550 employees serving more than 3,300 customers, including several Fortune 500 corporations, financial institutions, and colleges and universities nationwide. Tom has been a leader in education technology for more than 20 years. While he was still a senior at Bowdoin College in Maine, Tom ran for the Maine House of Representatives and he was elected in an upset. He ended up serving three consecutive terms before deciding not to pursue re-election. During his time in the main House of Representatives, Tom served as one of the youngest committee chairs, no kidding, as chairman of the Utilities and Energy Committee, where he led efforts to expand the wiring of schools and libraries across the state. And if you are interested in learning more about what Tom does at EverFi, how he built his incredible career. Check out the show notes for this episode to see if Tom's main Time for Coffee interview has already dropped. Tom, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I'm wired up and wired in, ready to go. Thank you. Awesome. Well, we should let our listeners know that we are doing this interview in early April, and the coronavirus has hit the United States hard as it has hit many other countries around the world, and you are hunkered down at home. Is that right? I'm hunkered down at home. And as I messaged out to my team the other day, I said, well, that was a normal uh, Q1. <laughs> I don't think any of us will ever go through something like this again. All right. Let's get into our 10 espresso shots, because I know for sure that this first question has already been affected by the coronavirus, certainly at EverFi in terms of your internships. But what 
entry-level jobs, Tom, are available to young people who are eager to break into your field? So EdTech in general, just a wonderful space. I think of it as one of the last frontiers as institutions have moved online. I think one of the things that this coronavirus crisis has, as we've moved 90% of the children in the world who are in a classroom every day to distance learning plans, if you can imagine that, has been to really heighten people's awareness of this. I think it's going to ultimately create a lot of jobs in this market, going to provide a lot of opportunities for young people. As you look at what it means, the core jobs are going to be opportunities are going to be curriculum building, they're going to be the design and the user experience. It's a huge advantage to be a young person as you come into ed tech. I think I consider myself a dinosaur. I'm 48 years old. And I consider myself a dinosaur in terms of curriculum design and short form learning and adaptive pathing and how students engage with short form video and content. It's so dynamic. It's ever changing. And it's frankly, it's a big advantage to have a fresh lens as to how this stuff played out in classrooms and university halls across the country. So these are going to be things like user design, curriculum building, implementation, like the quality assurance, whether it's relevant to people who are in universities and high schools and elementary schools. I think it's a really big advantage for young people who are looking to get into ed tech. Nice. What about sales and marketing? Those are really ripe opportunities for people. Most organizations in ed tech right now sell directly to institutions. So they sell to school districts, they'll sell to private schools and charter schools, and they'll sell to universities. One of the things that's shifting is more traditional like enterprise sales, where companies, you see Starbucks really leading on this, Mass Mutual really leading on this, Walmart leading on this, where they're integrating in learning plans for their employees and their customers And those salespeople are selling directly to enterprises for the first time, which is how we built our business. So there's a lot of opportunity in that. Fantastic. With Starbucks, are you talking about the partnership they have with ASU? ASU, correct. Yeah, Yeah, correct. And there's some neat companies like Guild Education is doing something really special with Walmart on this front. And so you're seeing that play out where companies are putting companies in the business of delivering learning. And there's a big sales opportunity there. Fantastic. And by the way, when the coronavirus is history for our young listeners who may be struggling right now to pay for college check out Starbucks. If you are working even as a part-time barista 20 hours a week, you qualify for a full ride online at Arizona State University with Starbucks underwriting the cost of your tuition and you can study whatever you want. It's an amazing opportunity. So Tom, what is a useful hard and soft skill that you look for in the young people you hire at EverFi? One of the things that I think is fascinating when I interview, I try to interview as many folks as as I can as we get the opportunities to hire people. I think the biggest thing is a sense of curiosity. I think of us often as switchboard operators for information. And so I look for people who on a daily basis are bringing in a really diverse set of inputs into their life, what they read, how they engage with the world, where they're getting their information from. I think that sense of curiosity is just 
it's just such an advantage. It's such a soft skill because ultimately every job that we take and we get the position to execute on is really like you're a switchboard operator of information. You're taking information in and you're figuring out how to distribute that out, lead people. So I love the concept of people being really curious. I also love when I'm talking to people looking for when people who are coming out of college or they're in high school where they've taken on something really meaningful. They've managed something. They've, they've worked on the student newspaper. They've worked on the student yearbook. They've been a part of a team. I think that those are really skills that show me a lot about how people are going to perform in the workplace. And you want to feel like people can take on a big challenge that they don't have to ask for permission. They step up, they grab things. Those are the types of things that we're looking for really when people are coming into the org. Nice. So what would you say for a hard skill? Well, if you're looking at a, I, I look at this often from the lens of a technology perspective. And one of the things that you realize is that what an advantage it is to have very, very specific product skills. So one of the things that we see, which is really advantageous, even when someone's coming into sales or something that might not be as perceived as a technical role, if they've taken the time to go on and learn certain coding skills or data science skills, I just think of that as a huge advantage. It allows them to reach across the organization, work with product, have an understanding for what product development cycles or engineering cycles can be and how that fits into the sales process or how that fits into the management process that they're under. So we think it's a very big advantage when someone comes in and says, listen, I knew I wanted to work in technology. I don't necessarily want to be an engineer, but I spent the time to learn certain engineering skills, gave me appreciation, a better lens and to better, you know, widen my aperture to understanding of product development. I think it's a very big advantage. I encourage everybody, my nieces and nephews, everyone that I talk to, to learn some of those hard technical skills. And it's a big advantage in the hiring process. Great. And by the way, you don't have to be in college to take those classes. If you've already graduated, you can go on to General Assembly or other online platforms and take a course or two. You sure can. You sure can. What about someone's major, Tom? Is it a deciding factor to get into ed tech? In other words, if they haven't studied education, if they haven't studied computer coding or engineering or whatever it is, is it a deal breaker? It's certainly not a deal breaker. Some of the best people that we've ever hired have had such diverse backgrounds. My background was I was an African-American studies major and a government major. I didn't have any education experience whatsoever. I kind of learned it in the state legislature and got interested in it really as more of a fan and out of curiosity. So no, I have not seen in any company that has scaled and I think been a company that I admire in the education space where they have a really rigid, you have to have an education master's, you have to have been in the classroom. Now, EverFi is kind of unique in the way that I think we have about 130 former full-time teachers on staff. And I think that's a huge advantage in education technology. I think if you're a teacher been in front of the classroom, you understand how the technology gets integrated into the day. I think that's a big advantage. And it's certainly something that gives people a leg up in our hiring process, which people might not think is very logical as a technology company. Wonderful. Okay. You mentioned some folks may have a grad school degree, but how important is it 
to have a grad school degree in order to succeed in your field, less so for the entry-level positions, more so for someone who one day would like to be a founder, would like to be in the C-suite. Is it important to have one? And if so, what are the most useful ones to get? Obviously, the more education and inputs that we get, I think that's a really positive thing. It is by no sense a gate that people have to pass through to get a job in ed tech. I don't think in order to be a manager, you have to have an MBA. I don't think anyone... It's interesting. I think about my executive management team. It's about 15 people. I actually don't think there's one person on the team that has an MBA that I can remember. So I don't think that there are certain gates from an education perspective that you have to pass through. Obviously, the more education, I think it's helpful, but it's not a requirement by any stretch. What about life experiences? What in your experience, Tom, are the most useful ones for someone to have starting out in this field? You mentioned that you've hired teachers. You yourself were in the state legislature. What do you think for someone who knows they want to try out ed tech are the kind of life experiences they should cultivate? Number one, I think people who have shown a predisposition to want to spend time with children and kids. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have been in the front of the classroom. But one of the things that tends to come out in interviews is often that people want to get into this field of education technology. They've worked with kids before. They've been a mentor. They've done one-on-one mentoring. They've done tutoring. My two co-founders, John and Ray, came up working in high poverty areas, tutoring students, and it was a real passion for them. So I think one of the things that comes out in almost every interview that you see is people really call on experiences that they've had that have created a sense of passion. It also, they're able to bring that into their work. They've been able to say, I work with scores of kids in the community around sports, or I was a coach, or I was in the classroom. And I think that that's a really big advantage. And usually this field draws people that have been passionate about that. We have other people who have worked more on the research and impact side. They've really spent a lot of time looking back on certain control studies, certain methods that have been used to effectively teach students reading reinforcement or math skills or whatever it is, come at it from more of an academic perspective. So I think we've found a really powerful combination of Everfi to have a lot of people in the soup of that that has, to this point, been able to really help us proven successful. Fantastic. So what is the best part for you of being in ed tech? Well, ed tech, I I wake up, honestly, I wake up every day, maybe not every day. There are days where I don't express the gratitude that I should. I can't believe I get to do this every day for a living. What we're trying to do is pick out really big, seemingly intractable social problems. And this is the case for the most part across the ed tech industry. People look out and they say, listen, the summer learning loss or the ravaging effects of opioid addiction on families or the cycles of poverty and the lack of financial literacy or FAFSA preparation and student loan preparation. Like, why isn't this taught in the school day? Why isn't this a part of what kids learn day to day? I love the fact that there are people waking up every day trying to solve really big problems. For the first time ever, we can take 
the solution to those problems at a massive scale that doesn't require people going into the classroom and speaking to kids in front of 40 desks. We have the ability to take what teachers have done for a long time and do our best to scale that using technology. And that's just an incredibly powerful thing that technology and scale and broadband and networks and other things have made possible for the first time ever across generations of Americans. And it's a big idea. And the fact that here we are in the middle of the coronavirus where we're all hunkered down, we're all sequestered in our own homes and apartments, and your product can still be consumed by students. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was one of the things that came out of my experience really early on in the legislature of understanding how important connectivity of like schools and libraries. We did the first one-to-one laptop initiative in Maine. And what you really learned was equity was a big thing. And that if there were students who were the haves and and the have-nots, that that was not going to be successful for communities. And one of the things that I'm hopeful for out of this, we've made a lot of progress in this country in terms of equity and wiring schools and libraries together. I think this will only shed more light on the fact that we've got some work to do in terms of particularly in high poverty areas, making sure that kids are getting connectivity, that kids have access to devices that allow them to do this. And yes, when we do get to that point, I mean, Everify is 6.2 million learners uniquely up on our platform every year. I mean, it's just a huge scale and only get bigger. And there's a lot of opportunity there for equity. Fantastic. And I know you and I both happen to live in Montgomery County in the state of Maryland. And when the coronavirus hit, I know one of the things that the Montgomery County school system was able to do, which is wonderful, is supply Google Chromebooks to all the students in public schools so that they could have access to online learning, which is great. But we also know that there are plenty of counties around the U.S. that don't have the resources to provide Chromebooks or any kind of computers to students. Yeah. Listen, I think public policy folks have got to get their act together on this because this needs to be a public utility. And we need to really, really grease the engine for students having both connectivity and devices. That can't be one more area where you have students who have it because they have the means and students who don't. It needs to be considered a public utility. And the organizations that can make that happen have got to figure that out. I can hear your experience from having been in the state legislature coming through. (laughs) There's my old politician coming out. He's a a little small guy in the back of my head, but he's he's ornery. (laughs) All right. So we know that it doesn't matter what your title is and how big your business is or how small, but there are aspects of every job that are not so much fun. So what is the part of your current job as CEO of EverFi that sucks the most? Yeah, there are there are a few of them. I think that the thing, one of those like terrible politician answers where people say, what's your biggest weakness? And you say, I just love freedom too much. And, and right. it hurts them. I, I always I hated it when people do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, I care too much. I think the biggest thing, listen, this, this is the most interesting and often the thing that sucks the most is what you learn over time is you never, ever get your arms around what's going on in people's lives personally. And I find the weight of that to be 
pretty crushing sometimes. You get 550, 600 people around the wheel. They're all walking into the door every day with really tough things going on in their lives. They're going through divorces, their kids are sick, their parents are sick, they're going through challenges or dealing with really big challenges in their lives. And none of us are safe from that. We all have our moment. And I think I always worry a lot about whether we're architecting a place that gives people enough room to deal with that. And you find over time that that's one of your biggest jobs as CEO is to make sure that you're setting up a place that gives people permission in the room to deal with the inevitable things that come into their lives. And we've dealt with all of it at EverFi. So that's one. I think the second thing is the thing that I think just sucks the most tactically is that you never, ever make decisions fast enough. I've always gotten up every day and said, you need to think of decisions as grenades. Like You got to get them out of your hands as fast as, as humanly possible. It doesn't mean not being thoughtful and taking your time to make a smart decision. But however much time you're going to give yourself, kind of the spandex of decision making, you need to shorten that time frame by about 50%. And I screw up on that 50% of the time. I've always looked back and I'm like, why did I take so long to make that decision on that person? Why did I make that developing that product or shipping that? That's the piece that to me is the toughest. Boy, I think we're bleeding into the next question because that's great advice. What is the best career advice you've ever gotten, Tom? The best piece of advice I've ever received was to stab in the heart and praise to the back. And I use it all the time. It's the first thing I say to people in our onboarding when we meet with everybody. And and what I mean by that is don't be afraid to have tough conversations. I kind of coined that as stab people in the heart. You've got a problem with them. No one wants to go back to high school. No one wants to go back to some political BS environment where people are back chattering or talking behind people's backs. No one wants to work in an environment like that. If you've got a beef with somebody, if you've got a problem with them, go shut the door and tell them to their face. The flip side of that is praise people to their back. One of my heroes growing up was this guy named Bob Strauss, who you may remember, who was just one of the great political operatives in Washington, D.C., ambassador to Russia. And my dad used to always tell me that he would walk around and just praise people always to their backs, even when he knew people were having a scuttle between themselves. He'd go up and be like, that guy said the greatest thing about you. And, and I just believe so strongly in talking people up when they're not looking. And so stab in the heart and praise the back. I love it. And... Actually, that makes for such a great work environment. That is fantastic advice. You know, one of the things, not to hit on that too much, is but one of the areas that we always hit on early on, when particularly when young people come in for their first job, is this concept of work-life balance, in my mind, just being kind of nonsense. And I don't mean it in the way that people normally think about it. But we've created over a long period of time this delineation, you know, this like you have your work and you have your life. And I think what that does is two things. It, it, it means that when you darken the door walking in every day, you all of a sudden have these different expectations in the workplace than you have in your normal life. And I think those things, you should just be coming in and out of those two things with a lot of consistency. You want people to be cheering you on. You want people to tell you things straight up. You don't want people to be talking behind your back. You want people to be in the foxhole with you. And that's what we want from our friends. It's what we want from our partners. And it's what you should want from the people that you actually spend the most time with in your life are the people that you work with. And you shouldn't want anything differently than you want in your life. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Tom, I'm going to beat a dead horse here because I actually think that we need to help our young listeners a little bit because when you're new in an organization and certainly early in your career, you really never want to be complaining. And I'm just thinking, because here we are telling people to be honest and direct and stab people in the heart. But the truth is, if you're low on the totem pole, I think if you want to surface something that says like, I'm not quite getting this, or I'm thinking maybe we could try it this way, you really still want to be careful about how you express your frustrations, don't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the best thing for people... I I have to say this all the time to folks. I really can't even say it enough as a CEO. Like, I want to hear bad news. There's a big difference between hearing bad news and the reality of certain things. Every great leader, and I'm not saying I'm one of them, but every great leader wants to hear the truth. They want to hear the reality. That's not the issue. If you are somebody who, though, is constantly pointing things out, And you can bleed into it being excuse-making. Like There's always those folks who walk around and they don't last very long at EverFi who just point out problems without a solution. Right. And they're complaining. And they're complaining. People love it. I love it when people come up to me and say, listen, here's the deal. I know you're really invested, Tom, in this product. That product sucks. And people aren't going to want to buy it. And here's why. Dot, dot, dot. I love it because I may disagree with them and I may tell them to go pound sand and don't agree with them. But I love the fact that that information got to me in the right way. I mean, people want to see people who are competent. And I say this all the time. The thing that I say is people want optimists around them. They want optimists. That doesn't mean that you have bluebirds flying around your head all the time because no one wants that. That doesn't make anybody better of just being someone who's sunshine and happy all the time. I don't want that. What I want are people who believe things are possible, people who want to move things forward. And that means sometimes whatever you want to call it, speaking truth to power, pointing out problems or deficiencies or whatever they might be, a good leader is going to want that. But you got to watch. You can't just be a Debbie Downer. We call them lobster pot people. Like (laughs) the people right when the lobster is about to get out of the pot, his buddies pull him down, you know, back into the boiling water. And the worst thing you can say at Everfi is we'll be like, that guy's just a lobster pot guy. And the other thing, that one of the great things that when I grew up in the middle of nowhere in Texas and my dad worked for T. Boone Pickens, who was just one of the great business guys who just had these great sayings. And he always used the word Wolverine, which is someone who like hoards ideas and they have to be their own. And he always said, that guy's a Wolverine because a Wolverine's the meanest animal in the world. People think a honey badger is. The Wolverine's a worse because the Wolverine can't eat something. They piss and take a crap on top of whatever animal. So no other animal can eat it. And so it's this kind of like not invented here thing that often takes root in companies. And I always love that line. I love that too. So I think the big takeaway here, folks, is you want to be a can-do person. And if you see a problem, wherever you're working, Try to think of what the solution is. And I will tell you right now, if you come to your supervisor and say, I noticed this and I think we can fix it by doing that, oh man, you are going to do really well in that company and you are going to be going up, up, up because that is the kind of person that we're all looking for. Two final espresso shots, Tom. 
What movies, if any, or Netflix, Hulu, Amazon shows, or books do you think accurately depict your profession? Oh, that's such a wonderful question. The EdTech, and I say this not because I'm not an active consumer, I don't think it's played itself out into the zeitgeist of either performance art or media. So I'm racking my brain a little bit. What about a book? Yeah, the way that I would categorize it is probably going to be Clay Christensen. You know, he was a huge and crossing the chasm and and the work that he had done around innovation and the way it applied to schools. I I think that that is just a, it's just a really great book as people think about applying innovation to education and applying the innovator solution and innovators dilemma. Like those are going to be ones that have really taken hold in the ed tech space. Nice. Final question. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about your profession? I think the biggest surprise would be how few schools have actually made a legitimate transition online. This concept of blended learning still is pacing, I think, behind where we should be. And I think that a lot of folks who'd be listening to this podcast would think that it had moved a lot further than any of us would admit to. And I think that it's really important that we kind of build this infrastructure into schools and particularly in the high poverty areas where they're just highly under-resourced and school funding formulas continue to put those communities at a disadvantage in terms of the tax base there and the ability to pay for this. And so I just think that that's, that would be a shocker if people got underneath the numbers of that. Yeah. Well, maybe one of the few good things that can come out of the coronavirus crisis that we're experiencing right now is a greater sort of spotlight on the need to wire up our classrooms because it's coronavirus now. Who knows what the next plague is going to be that we're all grappling with? I think that's right. I think that's right. Tom, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. And for our listeners, if you want to learn more about what Tom does as the CEO of EverFi and how he built his career, check out show notes to see if Tom's main T4C interview has already dropped. Tom, thanks so much. I hope you and your family stay healthy and safe. It was a total pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.